Okay, so episode 539 of the world's only Seattle Seahawks podcast. Uh, Tristan, it's great to be back with you. Yeah. um, Rough week, huh, for the old Seahawks? Um, It was a rough week, but it it started out looking like a really good week. I mean, uh, expectations are very high. First drive, very methodical. Nice touchdown. Oh, it seemed like we were off to the races. I don't know what changed, really. It was it was kind of incredible. We were talking about this before we started recording today. Just the idea of them coming in with such high expectations into this game. And frankly, a lot of that, we didn't exactly know the team. Every team every year is new, right? I mean, it's always a new team. And the idea that it really just felt... <laughs> fell flat on its face was kind of incredible. I mean, in some ways it was kind of a comical deal, but I mean, I, I think you just mentioned of it. A tale of two halves is, is really kind of the, the way that I took it. And, and that's what I heard from Pete as well. Well, it's very rare that a blowout, because this ended up as a blowout, but it's very rare that like a blowout, there was no, there were no big plays in the entire blowout. It was just one little play. After the other, and uh, yeah, it was very bizarre. There was, I was thinking pretty deep into the second half. I think Geno Smith's playing a pretty good game, actually, all things considered. And that's when they come up with the graphic of like three yards in the second half. I was like, oh okay, my god, well, that's not good. But there was never a moment where I felt like Geno made a, a huge mistake or or something. It was it was there weren't that many offensive snaps in the second half, really, for oh him god. to make a mistake. And it's something that Pete mentioned in the press conference right after that, you know, like I think a a strength of Geno's is he is great at taking what the defense gives him. And it it looked like from from what I've seen and and from what I've heard that they were kind of playing a a defense to kind of keep them, you know, keep it in front of them type deal and and limiting those big plays, which I think Geno correctly diagnosed and said all right cool like i'll just take what they give me but to your point especially on our side that kind of led to um a lot of dink and dunk and and i mean and then i but i still honest to god don't know how you explain three yards in the second half i'm not gonna say something as stupid as i think if i was the quarterback and you were the running back we could have gotten more than three yards in a whole half of football i know that's not true because we probably would have gotten negative 300 but it's still it's it's a shocking number. I mean, it really is. And I say that with with all due respect and love to to my boys in blue and green. Well, I think the, the shocking part about it, it was it was three yards, but you were never there's never it, it was hard to point to the mistake. You know, it, it just it was like nothing like there were no, you know, no turnovers either way the whole game. Yeah. There, and there was no I don't know. There wasn't there wasn't a mistake that you point to that's going, oh, he really missed that opportunity or or something like that. What do you think about, so he is so methodical. He does take what the defense gives him, but I think if there's something to take for the rest of the year, there might, it might be really hard for the offense when it's behind. I thought when it was ahead, because you can kind of just keep on cruising along and they can really piece a drive together, but things are going really well, but just getting behind you kind of need to pass a little bit more. And I don't, it didn't seem like that was, um, it's not a, there weren't a lot of, doesn't seem like there's potential for explosive plays, really. Well, it's funny because going into the game, 
So my, my three kind of thoughts or takeaways, I don't know, my, my, my three thoughts going into the game. One was how will the defensive line hold up against the run? Number two is exactly what you just said concerning the wide receiver wide receivers. My question was, will this be the best? And I don't think this is super hyperbolic. Will it be the best wide receiver wide receiver? That's how you say the word duo in the NFL. I are not not duo trifecta. What's the word? What's the word for duo for three? I was ready to go down to fourth string with the Jake Bobo. Uh, oh, sure, more Bobo. Trifecta. Yes, trifecta. Yeah. Or yeah, now we can say the the quad, the quad box of uh, of these wide receivers. Um, but yeah, no, I thought between uh, JSN and um, and Tyler and um, and DK, man, yeah, this could this has a chance to be one of the best in the league. And it, it was crazy to see. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition this time. Um, but, I mean, you know, we have to temper it with they still could. And I, I do think, I mean, something that um, something that Brittany has reminded me of since we've been married, um, she's seen my reactions to Seahawks games for the last, I mean, 14, 15 years. And um, every time, this time of year, she always reminds me of the sage advice the Seahawks always start slow. They're always bad in the beginning of the year, which is something I can't seem to remember, but it's something that she remembers and literally has been reminding me of for the past decade. Um, and I took I took a lot of solace in it. I looked at her. I was doing the dishes last night and I was like, hey, sweetie, don't freak out. But the Seahawks lost. And she looked at me without. How did she take that? She with without skipping a beat. She looked at me and said, and I did not prepper for this conversation she just looked at me and said they always start slow <laughs> which i mean <laughs> so i think there's there's some wisdom there um but i mean and i think this goes along with wide receivers and you brought it up too my other question going into the game was will gino be able to take the next step and again you know week one is a liar so you can't really take any of this as a major data point but <laughs> All of those storylines, I think, I, I mean, I guess you could say of the three, they did stop the run. Like here, there's a nice positive for the game. They did. They they control the line of scrimmage pretty well. Um, how, How'd the other two go? The other two did not go as well. I okay. mean, <laughs> there there were three individuals that didn't seem to show up for the second half of the football game. Geno Smith and his three best wide receivers in football. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned the Seahawks starting slow because I went back. I was curious. So I'm thinking right now, Pete Carroll, year 14 with the Seahawks. It feels to me like with a coach who's been around that long, that there's a pretty high floor on how your yeah. team could do. Your Belichick's, your Sean Payton's, your Mike Tomlin's. The team never does that poorly. So I went back to see... Okay, was because Pete Carroll's never had lower than seven wins with the Seahawks, and as Crazy. bad as it, it feels like when you're around for that long, when you have that much experience, you just don't let the bottom fall out from underneath your team, as can as will happen to other teams with like lesser experienced coaches. Um, but there weren't that many Week One losses. The best, what it, this might be a little bit of a well, okay. There was in 2017 they they lost week one 17 to nine to the Packers. Russell okay. Wilson goes 14 of 27 for 158 yards. Pretty bad. 
So, I mean, we can only imagine the conversation at Dishes that night, you know, after, you know. Um, that that year they went 9-7, and seven, and that was the first time with Wilson that they missed the playoffs. The other one, this could, maybe this is more of a parallel for this year. <laughs> I don't know. But in 2011, Pete's second year, they okay. lose week one, 33-17 to the Niners. Come okay. back week two, lose twenty four to zero to the Steelers, but um, they finished seven and nine with uh, Tavares Jackson as their I quarterback. Was say, so it's I like, was it say, yeah, the... it, that's the start of a year that seems like the bottom would really fall out. I mean, when you're yeah. sitting there zero and two, twenty four to zero, Pete's only had one seven and nine year. I'm sure he was thinking about his job security at that point, you know. But yeah, week I mean, one is I... a liar, as you say. Funny to think about that because and, and maybe there are some parallels um, from a standpoint. You know, I mean, we don't exactly know the story of Geno Smith isn't fully written yet. Right. So we don't know exactly who Geno is in the in the arc of his career. But if you think about those first two seasons, it's kind of interesting. So they were both seven and nine the first season one and two. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's actually it. Is, that is kind of an interesting Thought. So that was Matt Hasselbeck in in year one, the Matt Hasselbeck led Seahawks, um, and then year two, obviously with with T Jack. Um, I suppose though, man, I wonder how much grace and runway Beastquake gave Pete and his career and John Schneider. I mean, one win to completely redefine like football in the Northwest almost. I mean, really one of the most memorable football games of all time, the lowly seven to nine Seahawks. I distinctly remember the national media saying they shouldn't even be in the playoffs. Like this is a disgrace. They have a losing record. And then and I could be wrong on this, but I believe the saints that year um, were 13 and three. I mean, they were one of the best teams in the, the league. Super Bowl was, champions. Yeah. That was, I mean, Fitting. that's, yeah, Drew Brees, elite, all of that. Um, yeah, so that is kind of an interesting, interesting parallel to to draw. Um, but I, I like what you bring up, kind of the steady Eddie side of Pete, and and really that's what great coaches are, right? They um, they they rally their teams, they reset expectations, and all of that. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of an interesting thing. That's one of my big. We talked about this before. One of my big takeaways listening to Pete during the press conference, I've never, I've never heard him so confused after a game. Um, so something that I've done over the last few years. So I listened to the Brock and Salk show, um, uh, 710 Seattle sports basically every day on, um, on podcast. And they have been interviewing Pete every Monday for the last, I mean, I guess, 50, however long he's been with the team, basically the Pete Carroll show. And what's interesting to me is whenever I feel bad about a loss, if I listen to the Pete Carroll show the next day, I feel better. He just always makes me feel better. It's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, we're going to fix this. We'll fix that. We're off to the races. I, I have to say, and I don't know if this means anything. This is just one guy's gut, but that's that was not the vibe of today's show. I mean, listening to the show this morning, Pete didn't have a lot of answers and it didn't it didn't I didn't walk away thinking, oh, yeah, this is fixable. We're fine. He wasn't. I mean, it's Pete Carroll. So he was upbeat and he was friendly and positive and all that. 
Um, but I, I do honestly think that this one surprised him. I, I think that he felt really good coming into the game. I think he felt pretty good after the first half. And I honestly think he he's a bit confounded on what happened in that second half. And I'll say this, in all my years of watching him and, and watching this team, I've never seen that response from him. So I don't know. I, I hope that it's just a complete fluke or whatever, but <laughs> I don't know. It's a little scary. I wonder if he was confused because it seemed fairly obvious that the Rams, especially in the third quarter, they just had, they just knew how to get into the middle of the field with a pass. Yeah. Everything was just in the middle. We have to mention Puka Nakua, Mm. fifth round rookie with, uh, you know, over a hundred yard game. Uh, Puka and Tutu just doing their thing. I mean, talk about a reality TV show. Just those two guys. That's it. You can't script names like that. (laughs) But but Pete's the secondary guy, right? I mean, he's been coaching and living secondary for 50 years. It seems like he shouldn't really... um, Maybe that's why he's bewildered, because it's like, you know, the middle of the field's kind of your house as the secondary, right? And they were just breaking into his house all day. Yeah. I thought. No, I mean, it's it's totally true. The, The secondary was a was a mess and i mean it, which i mean maybe this is a good transition for us like takeaways kind of coming out of the game um my biggest takeaway i'll be consistent with my biggest takeaway coming into the game was run defense and so i mean i'll i'll tell the truth there run defense great run or i should say pass defense not so good right i mean the, i i don't know i haven't seen the stats they really didn't get any pressure on um uh, matt stafford all day he he it seemed like he could have uh i don't know cooked up something i don't know i don't know what matt stafford eats but he had plenty of time to to sip on a latte in the in the <laughs> in the pocket to sound a ram's horn he could have sounded he probably did he probably was out there with a ram's horn, um, so yeah. I mean, that's that's my first takeaway. I mean, the the defense looked from a running perspective, which was the biggest deficit of this team last year. They could not stop the football from being run on them. They did pretty good. I thought Bobby had a good game. I thought the linebackers. In, in fact, Pete mentioned this during the interview today that um, the linebackers both played well. Bobby and and uh, and Jordan Brooks. Um, but man, I mean. I hate to I hate to just say the thing that every Seahawks fan is thinking right now, but Jalen Carter looked pretty good with the Eagles. He uh I think led the NFL in QB pressures yesterday and also got his first sack of the season. It's kind of it's a hard one to take because it still seems like the biggest weakness of this team we could have uh fixed with the first pick of the draft. I say that with all due respect to Spoon. I I, I think oh, he's yeah, going to be I haven't great. seen the man yet. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard as a fan not to just look at that. Um, but also, again, this is the season for hyperbolic reaction, and you know, I want to I want to temper against that. But it 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 wasn't easy. It would have been much easier if Jalen Carter had a really terrible game. <laughs> I would have appreciated that. Uh, but here's something I was thinking, and I couldn't tell. Um, all right, so the Rams have the 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 least active cap space under their cap in the league. They have the most dead cap 
well, that they're yeah. using just in this year of rebuilding. So Bobby Wagner, he counts more on the Rams cap sheet than the Seahawks cap sheet this year, for example. Wow. 7.5 for the Rams, 5.5 for Seattle. So the Rams, they got $122 million in active cap. It goes out. The Chargers are using $211 million in active cap. So it's about half. Wow. Almost half. And I wondered, and I couldn't tell if, um, I wondered if they, it seemed like all their skill players were so small. Just hmm. tiny guys. Tutu Atwell, definitely. He's Very like the small. smallest guy in Five, the NFL. Eight, I think, yeah. And I couldn't quite tell, uh, <laughs> I couldn't quite tell if they really were that small or if it's because the digits of their jerseys were so small. Like Tutu Atwell's wearing number five. Cam Akers wearing number three. I thought Van Jefferson was really small, wearing number 12. He's actually not that small. But it seemed to me like it was yeah. all small guys. And I kind of wondered if that was their like market inefficiency and if that's how they were able – like if, if that led to that whole middle of the field being a problem because they had, had guys who could kind of work in – yeah, work short spaces, kind of their version of Moneyball, like basically get the assets they can and and make it work. Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting. Just know that or just trust that like really small guys weren't going to be since they kind of have to take some dead cap hits from from their Super Bowl years. You know, if, like in the meantime, if it would be most or just kind of a little play, I don't know, a little zag to like. Yeah. Hey, what well, if these I, small guys could really command some some tight spaces? I, I think that also actually plays pretty well with what what Pete talked about, to be honest, um, today, because he also he mentioned that that he first kind of said, yeah, they ran their offense as usual. But then he he kind of backtracked a little bit. It was like, but Sean McVay did it kind of add a few zigs and zags in there. And there was a few things that caught them off guard. And I wonder if it's maybe that simple of a thought that, you know, some of these wide receivers because of their stature, because of their style of play, because maybe they had more possession type receivers on the field on any given time, um, that 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 created a different offensive dynamic than than what would have typically been there if, say, you have Cooper Cup out there. Thank God Cooper Cup wasn't out there. It, it would have been <laughs> fifty eight to who knows what. I mean, pretty crazy. Who's going to talk next? That was, listen, folks, you can imagine this is our 592nd episode of the but podcast. It's been, a long, it's been a long off season, you know, just like the Seahawks sh- shook some rest off. You know, we have a few false starts it, in there. And by a the way, we where nobody moves. We, we also, we acknowledge that we are the only Seahawks podcast in the world. And we, we would like to invite more people to participate. You know, we don't want to necessarily be the only, but it is what it is. We are the only one in existence and, um, you know, we're making do, but we love more voices out there. It's a heavy responsibility being yeah. the only one. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's a big deal. Um, I, what I'm curious about is how they transition to next week. I, you know, I feel like you have to have a kind of a goldfish type memory, right? In any sporting event, but especially when you're talking about football, you have to get on to the next week, the next opponent. Um, man, we're talking about a team, elite offensive line. We're talking about a team that has uh, great pass rush depth in in the Detroit Lions. Um, it's 
it's going to be interesting to see the adjustments. And again, I mean, I think what we're all hoping for as Seahawks fans is that I'll just say it again. Week one's a liar. You know, there's a lot of rust that has to be knocked off. I will say, I mean, I don't know how many other games you're able to watch games throughout. It it was a very low scoring kind of mediocre looking week one in general. I, I do wonder if some of it is just to be kind of chalked up to that, that a lot of teams looked kind of out of sorts defenses. I think generally looked a little better than offenses. I would like to think that, you know, there's some commonality there. There you're mostly right. There is unfortunately one, uh, team in the NFC West who might be on the Seahawks schedule twice mm. this year that mm. uh, didn't really have they that struck, issue. Are you, are you saying they struck gold? The 49ers. Yeah. The, they panned the in the river and they found a <laughs> nugget. Uh, and they, I mean, yeah. What are you going to do? Um, well, I mean, that's, I think that's all I got for this episode. Any, uh, any kind of, uh, concluders for, for this, for the audience, the audience is actually up to a million people. Um, so at, we, we want to take some time to thank the audience. Um, our millionth, um, listener just joined. So that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Thanks for being with us all these years. Oh man. The years. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's been a labor of love, but we love it. It's been great. People said um, we were crazy to start the podcast before there were the Seattle Seahawks, before yep. they started playing games, but we had yep. a vision. Those yep. first few years were rough without any games to talk about. And but. just using tapes, just our tape recorders and, you know, just kind of hoping someday there'd be a place to put these episodes. Um, but yeah, thank God. Thank it's all, God. It's worked out really well for us. Um, okay. So next week we'll, we'll be talking about a, a Detroit loss, a Seahawks victory. We'll be talking about Gino 300 yards, DK, what a hundred, you know, probably and a touchdown. Tyler's going to get two touchdowns. It's going to be fine next week, right? Yeah. Jake Bobo will get even more shout outs wow. for just blocking as he did, uh, this last week. I'm going to rewatch it, but I'm pretty sure Boba was wide open for like a, a wide open touchdown in the first half. I don't know if uh, if you saw that or not. There's a it looked like he just he we almost had a more Bobo moment. It didn't happen. It's the only thing on your schedule till next Sunday. That's it. That's all we'll be doing. We'll be doing the research. Um, Miles, this was a pleasure. This is the the first episode down of many, many more to come. This was this was fun. Tristan, what a thrill. Enjoy your evening. That's how you end a podcast, right? You just say, enjoy your evening. That's, I think that's you end it by saying, how that's how you end a podcast. That's how you do it. <laughs> Bye.